Hey, this is John Morgan. I'm the lead pastor here at Word of Life Church in the nation's capital. I want to personally thank you for taking time out to listen to our podcast today. It's our prayer that you're inspired and that your life is changed for the better while listening. So go ahead, enjoy today's message. I want you to stay standing as we read the Word of God together today. And I'm reading out of Luke chapter 2, and I'm reading from verse 8 to verse 20. Luke chapter 2, verse 8 to verse 20. Are you ready for the Word of God today? You ready for it? Really ready? Turn the person beside you and say, I'm really, really ready for the Word of God today. Here we go. Verse 8. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. The angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For under you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. When they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds had told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you that it's powerful and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, able to get into our lives and penetrate and bring supernatural change from the inside out. Lord God, we thank you that every week sitting in your word, Lord God, that you can just move the needle, making us that little bit more like Jesus every day. I pray, God, as I preach, that there'd be a prophetic anointing on this message. It wouldn't just be another service on another Sunday. But Lord, there'd be a touch of your spirit and a touch of your presence upon it. Lord, I pray for every person here today. Lord God, you give them ears to hear. Holy Spirit, what you're saying to them individually and giving to us collectively. So move in our life today. That's our prayer. Inhabit our space. Be with us, we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Why don't you take a seat, high-five the person beside you, and say, ho, ho, ho. Show about that Christmas cheer. So great to have you in the house today. So great to have you watching online. My pastor, when I, when I got saved, uh, a pastor in Australia was Pastor Laurie Jensen. Pastor Laurie Jensen was a, a fairly uncomplicated man. Uh, prior to being in ministry, he was a milkman. And uh, he delivered milk to houses in uh, southern Queensland. And then he got saved powerfully by the power of the Holy Spirit and God encounter. And he was very, very passionate for the presence of God. Very, very hungry 
for the reality of God and, and walking with God and seeing God's power. Very, very godly, prayerful, worshipful, uh, wonderful man, wonderful man of God. And we were a part of a, a movement and one of the churches, the lead church in the movement was probably one of the biggest churches in Australia back then, a very fast growing movement. But there was some shenanigans and not so good stuff happening uh, in the leadership of, of the movement and the, the sort of knee jerk reaction from uh, Pastor Laurie, who wanted to see the power of God and wanna, wanted to see miracles happen. And the knee-jerk reaction of that behavior was, was legalism. And we, we were a, a fairly legalistic, traditional, intense uh, church. Now, on a scale of 1 to 10 of legalism, we weren't on a 10. I, I know some people have come out of some churches that were crazy just legalistic, but, but we, were, we were pretty, pretty, pretty well there. Then... My, my pastor went to Sydney, and he, he met a man by the name of, of Phil Pringle. Pastor Phil and Chris Pringle, uh, pastor Christian City Church in Australia, became a movement all around the world, a phenomenal, a phenomenal man of God. Pastor, pastor Phil Pringle is probably the times he's prayed for me uh, are up there in the top 10 power of God moments in, in my life. I remember being at a conference, it was the conference I was running in New Zealand, the Invasion Conference, and my friend Tim Franklin and I, he was a pastor in Florida, were kneeling at the altar uh, in this altar service. And I remember Pastor Phil coming up and laying hands on me, and the power of God hit my body so hard. And this has never happened before, never happened after. But the power of God hit my body so hard, I jumped up from the kneel position and went straight up and, and went backwards like a missile. You know how people do the courtesy drop? Nothing courtesy about my drop. I was flying like through the air. And I remember like it startled me and I opened my eyes. And as I opened my eyes, my friend Tim was also going through the air at the same time, like synchronized slaying. It was awesome. I, it was just one of those power of God. And so my, so, so Laurie meets Pastor Phil. And then when he meets Pastor Phil, he, he sees this man of integrity and holiness and, and, and power and all those things that he loves and he's passionate about, but then unbelievable liberty. There was a freedom and a liberty about him. There was a freshness and a youthfulness. And it, and it spun our church around. In 180, we went from, we went from legalism to liberty overnight. And, and if you thought the changes here over the last two years have been hard for you to take, you, you gotta imagine he didn't do it over two years. He, I think he did it over like a 24 hour period. He just walked into church one Sunday. The next Sunday, he says, we're changing, da da da, da. And, and people got whiplash from, from it. We turned it so quick. Some people left the church, but it released something of, of God's liberty and freedom on it. We never lost the power. We never lost the hunger. We never lost the presence. All we did was we lost the religious trappings that come with religiosity and tradition. It, it freaked all the legalistic people out. We never lost that power. In fact, in fact, our church started to grow and our church had life. And I remember, I remember Pastor, uh, Laurie coming to me and he said, Hey, listen, just be you. Just be you. Stop being the, the you that legalistic and rules and just, just be you. And I remember that being a game changer in my Christianity. I'm so grateful for that moment. Legalism 
is man-made rules and regulations, and they give the illusion of holiness. It, It tends to major on the minors, make big things out of things that just don't matter, rather than focusing on the important things. It washes the outside of the cup, but makes the inside of the cup untouched. Jesus said, you're like whitewashed tombs that are full of dead men's bones. You've decorated the outside up, but on the inside, it's dirty. Legalism places value on what is seen by man, but places little value on what is seen by God. It changes our religious behavior. Gets us saying religious things. Hallelujah. Gets us saying Christianese. Amen. Glory to God. Uh, tabernacle. You know, we just learn all that Christian stuff. I remember meeting one guy in one church once and, uh, and, and I, and I shook, it may have even been in our church in, in Australia, but I, I, he shook hands. He said, how are you doing today? I said, I'm doing really good. Thank you. And he goes, there's none good but God. That's the sort of thing I'm talking about. That legalistic sort of stuff that doesn't help anybody. Then on the other end is license. That's the other end of the spectrum. Anything goes Christian. It doesn't really matter. There's no boundaries. There's no absolutes. Just do whatever you feel like doing. You embrace the values of your flesh and you negate the boundaries that are there from heaven. Now, people tend to live their faith life in one of those dimensions on the faith spectrum, uh, depending on their personality type. Sometimes that's a big influencer or the doctrine of the church that they've grown up in or the upbringing in their household or their church culture. Every church has a culture, happens by design or by default. And sometimes in a legalistic church culture, if you've grown up in that or a free church culture, you embrace the culture of the church. Then there are the grace gifts. These are, these are the hardwiring from God of our personality. And some of these grace gifts tend to, tend to go to one end of the spectrum or the other. So you've got the gift of teaching. The gift of teaching is better defined as the gift of accuracy or if you like perfection. It wants every I to be dotted, every T to be cross everything, to be perfect and in order. And that sort of uh, is easily persuaded to be in the legalistic end of things. Then you've got the other gift of, uh, of motivational gift of Romans 12, which is a gift of exhortation. That's like fun and awesomeness and woohoo! You know, it's just like, it's just like life. And, and then that, that can tend to go to the other end of the spectrum. But in the middle, the, the healthy place is not... It's not license and it's not legalism, but it's liberty. Liberty embraces the tension between the two. It leaves in the sweet spot and it brings life and life more abundantly as we're promised by Jesus. Legalism promotes man-made form of holiness through man-made rules and regulations. Matthew chapter 23 says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites. For you tithe mint, dill, and cumin... And have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guide straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. So he's not saying that tithing and being precise is wrong, but he's saying that you focus on that and you neglect the other things like helping people and loving people and having fun and enjoying life and smiling. Smiling. 
and having joy and having some life and not looking so depressed all the time. Then at the other end, there's license. License promotes spiritual freedom by eliminating all rules and boundaries. There are no rules. There are no boundaries. Whatever you feel like doing, just do it. Galatians tells us, my brothers and sisters, God called you to be free. So God's called us to be free, but, everyone say but. But do not use your freedom as an excuse to do what, your, what pleases your sinful self. So the thing that keeps our flesh in check is boundaries. But the thing that sets our spirit free is liberty. Liberty lives in the tension between legalism and license. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. In other words, I have self-control. I, I, I live in freedom, but I have self-control. I live in freedom, but I have boundaries. And when I have boundaries, it actually gives me more freedom. A healthy spiritual life is not found in the extremities, it's found in the balance. And that is liberty's challenge. It's living in the balance. And you find this all the way through the Bible. This, this balance, it's not either or, it's the genius of the end. So, so here's an example. Is, a God, is God a God of cost? Or is God a God of reward? And then it really depends on who you talk to and what church you go to. Some people are all about cost. You should lay your life down. Jesus went to the cross for you. He gave up his life for you. You should just do things and never expect anything back from God. Just do it, pay the price, lay your life down, sacrifice. That's what God has called you to be. Then on the other end of the spectrum, you have the people that are in to reward. And the reward people are like, well, God's done everything. You don't need to do anything. Just come to church, enjoy yourself, come, leave. You never have to volunteer. Don't, don't get on a team. I, I have leaders say that to me sometimes. They say, like, I, I don't really know how to ask somebody to do that as a volunteer because they have their own personal life and asking them to do things in church is asking for a commitment. I'm not sure I can ask them to, to do that. So these people are all about reward. God wants to bless you. Everything is okay. You never have to do anything. But here's the reality. God lives in the balance of cost and reward. When you read through your Bible, you're very probably not ever going to find it because I've not found it, where you pay a cost for God that he doesn't reciprocate with some level of reward. And you won't find in the Bible anywhere that you get a reward where there's not been some cost already paid. The two work hand in hand together. I think one of the best illustrations of that would be in Malachi chapter 3. The Word of God says in Malachi chapter 3, it says, bring all the tithe into the storehouse so there is food in God's house. So that is bring 10% of your income. You get to keep 90, do whatever you want with the 90, but you bring 10% in as a part of your worship into the house of God. I've been doing that since I've been saved. Bring 10% in to the house of God as a part of your worship. The Bible says the tithe belongs to the Lord. So you're not even giving him what's yours. You're just giving him back what he claimed as his. 
So bring all the tithe in the storehouse so there's food in God's house. Now the cost people just park there. And you'll hear them take up an offering. Just give your tithes and you shouldn't get, expect to get anything back. You should just be happy to be breathing. You should just be happy that God gave you a job. You should just be happy that you have enough money to be able to give a tithe. And so when you give today, you should not expect to receive. Just give without receiving. But that's not the scripture. Bring all the tithes to the storehouse so there is food in my house. And then what does he say? Test me now in this. If what? I will not open up for you the floodgates of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that you can't contain it. And the fruit of your land is going to be blessed. And everyone that looks at your life is going to call you blessed. So God says, if you open up your wallet and don't even give me your whole wallet, just 10% of you, just 10% of you, if you do that, God says, I'm going to open up the floodgates. Everyone say floodgates. I'm going to open up the floodgates of heaven and pour out for you, for you, such a blessing that you can't contain it. You're not going to find anywhere in the Bible where you can sow without reaping. And you're not going to find anywhere where you can reap without sowing. Sowing and reaping are a biblical principle. And God lives in the genius of the end. Should we sow or should we reap? And the answer is yes. Are we called? Are we called to cost or reward? And the answer is yes. We're called to both of those things at the same time. Learning to serve and being comfortable being served is also a biblical principle. Leadership and servanthood are a biblical principle. Now, people go on the serve end all the time. Well, Jesus, Jesus came and, and, and Jesus washed feet. And Jesus washed the disciples' feet. Anybody glad that we don't do that anymore? Anybody glad that's a church tradition that we haven't carried into 2023? Three of you are not even sure about that. You do not, just to let you know, you do not want to wash my feet. They are nasty. They are not good. I didn't think Jesus, I think if I walked up to Jesus to what he like, yeah, Pete. So we look at Jesus washing feet, that humility, that servant, but we, 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 we don't put in there that Jesus also had his feet washed. Jesus expected to be served. He was the king of kings and the Lord of lords. There was a woman washing his feet with her tears and drying his feet with her hair and no one was angry that she was serving him they were all angry at who she was like you got this dodgy messed up woman let's just put it for real it's just a woman could you imagine if I'm down here in the front row and some woman just started coming up washing my feet you'd be like we're going to another church this is what these guys were thinking but it was worse because she was a, she was a, she was a, a, a had a past and they're, they're angry, not the fact that she was serving, but who it was that was serving. Jesus didn't stop her. Jesus said to the disciples, you're all angry at her. I got into the house. You know what? No one offered me a drink and no one offered to wash my feet. You didn't even bother serving me. So Jesus anticipated being served and he was also okay with serving so there are areas in our life where we lead and we have people serving a vision or serving a goal or working with us on team. But at all times and always, we should be willing to serve other people. This is what God has called us to do. Should we be blessed or be a blessing? The answer is yes. 
We're supposed to do both. God wants to bless you. And then God wants to also reward you to be a blessing to other people. It's the genius of the end. It's the sweet spot of liberty. Are we saved by grace or are we called to do works? The answer is yes. Grace and works work hand in hand. We are saved by grace through faith, not of works. That's how we get saved. But then God has called us to do good works. So we are saved by grace, but we're called to do good works. And the good works that we do are to give somebody else an opportunity to get saved by grace. So you got saved by grace, but when you come to church, your salvation is based on grace. But God calls you to works. Why? So you can provide somebody else that does not know Jesus an opportunity to get saved by grace. And so it's the genius of the end, it's grace and works. And that's the sweet spot that comes in liberty. Legalism and license shrink the bigness of God and they accentuate the smallness of man. Liberty brings the bigness. That bigness of God, that, that, that jewel ends, the, the middle is shown in the Gospels. You ever wonder why? We have four Gospels. Why there are four Gospel writers telling the exact same story, but they're telling the exact same story in a different way? It's because God is demonstrating the balance of heaven. Matthew, theologians tell us, promote Jesus as the king. Where Mark promotes Jesus as the servant. So is Jesus the king or is Jesus the servant? And the answer is yes. Luke promotes Jesus as the son of man. John as the son of God. Is he a son of God or the son of man? And the answer is yes. This is how liberty works. Liberty lives in a healthy balance of Bible truth. It doesn't live on the extremities. Proverbs chapter 20 verse 23 says, Unequal weights are an abomination to the Lord and false scales are not good. Our God is a God of balance. Now, here's the thing about balance. Balance is not static. It doesn't like that. Balance fluctuates. So as we live our life in the sweet spot of liberty, it's like dealing with people. Sometimes you've got to deal with people, and you've got to deal with them with judgment. Other times you've got to deal with them with grace. But balance is saying, what do I need to do here? Does the scales need more judgment? Then grace, does it need more grace than judgment? How am I going to deal with this situation that's in front of me? That's the wisdom that has to come to us from heaven. It's learning what is appropriate in this moment. Is it grace or is it works? Is this the time that I should be serving and working and giving my my time? Or is this the time that I should be living in grace and just enjoying his presence and not trying to do anything to be able to curry favor with God? I think the beauty of the Christmas story is it's a perfect pivot between Old Testament and New Testament. It's right there at the cusp, right there in the middle between Old Testament and New Testament. The intensity of the Old Testament and the freedom of the New Testament between the covenant of law and between the covenant of grace. We sang this Christmas carol earlier, O come all 
ye faithful. I, I, I love one of the lines in that because I, I think it encapsulates what I'm trying to say. It says this, word of the Father, now in flesh appearing. Word of the Father, now in flesh appearing. The bigness of God and the intimacy of God simultaneously. John chapter 1 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John chapter 1 verse uh, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Word of the Father, now in flesh appearing. The Word of God, the, the, the Word that all things were spoken into existence. Word of the Father, the, the, the Word that was spoken and said, let there be light, and there was light. The Word that created galaxies that we're still discovering exist. The power of God's Word became flesh and hung out with us. The eternal God coming in temporal flesh. The infinite creator becoming the form of his creation. He who would not tempt and cannot be tempted came and subjected himself to be tempted in all ways just like us. That's what God did. The nativity story is full of tension of that word of the father now in flesh appearing. You see it all through the story. The word that created us became flesh and dwelt with us. That's the tension, the balance, the bigness permeates all aspects of the nativity story and should permeate our life. The nativity story is a, a tension between reverence and relationship. Verse 9 of Luke chapter 2, And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. So heavenly hosts are arriving, angels are there, visitation from heaven, and they are filled with great fear. I, the King James Bible says, And they were sore afraid. Another translation says, and they were greatly afraid. The NLT says, they were terrified. And the angel of the Lord said to them, fear not. For behold, I bring you good news and great joy that will be for all the people. So the glory of the Lord is shining around them, the spectacular nation of this heavenly visitation, and, and they are overwhelmed and they are filled with great fear. Fear is reverence. It's, it's a natural response to the presence of God. If you encounter God, you're going to fall to your knees. The Bible says that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And we all need to have a healthy fear and a healthy reverence for the presence of God. He's not your bud. He's not your chum. He's not your mate. He's not your homie. 
He is the King of kings, and He is the Lord of lords. He is the Prince of peace. He is the Alpha and the Omega and the beginning and the end. He's the creator of the universe. He is God. He is God. So there needs to be a fear, a healthy fear in us for God. But the angel said, don't fear. Fear not. And he connected not fearing with good news. Jesus said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach good news. And a part of that good news, he says, is to bring and preach the acceptable year of the Lord. In these verses are two opposite dimensions of thought. First is the fear of the Lord, respect and reverence. And the second is fear not, relationship and intimacy. So the question here is, is God a God of reverence, holiness and judgment? Or is God a God of connection, relationship, love, grace and intimacy? And the answer is yes. Is he a grace of fear or fear not? And the answer is yes. A healthy fear and reverence for God is is what we need. I think if we have a healthy fear and reverence for God, it'll change the way we approach church. This is not a club. This is not just a hangout thing that you get to do as a hobby. Jesus gave his life for the church. God's plan to change the world is through the church. And so when we approach church, we should come with a healthy fear and reverence for the presence of God. Yet at the same time, realizing that we can come into his throne room boldly and we can cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy, God, that we don't need to come with our head down and our, our, our life low. And I remember being in an Anglican church in Australia when I grew up. And, and the, the, the priest would belt his chest and say, Lord, I'm not worthy. Lord, I'm not worthy. Lord, I'm not worthy. Yes, you're worthy. Jesus bought you with the blood. He bought you with the blood of Christ. Now, you don't walk in and go, hey, mate, how you going? No, you walk in whole and respect God, but you come in as a child of God. You give reverence to him, but you're building a relationship with God. And that's the tension that a lot of people have an issue with. But God says, I want you to come in and be my child, but I'm still God. I'm still God. The nativity story is also a tension of public and private worship. I think it's important for us to get. It helps us together as the church. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. For unto you is born this day, the city of David, Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and laying in a manger. So the public revelation is a Savior who is Christ the Lord for the world. The private revelation is this is going to be a sign for you. For you guys, I, I, I've created this sign so you know what to look for, you know where to go, you know what you're searching for. And so it's a sign for you as Savior and a Savior to the world, but it's also a sign to you so you can go and witness this miraculous sight that God has done. And we need to live in the tension of, of both those things. In our, in our Jesus life, we have a public and a private aspect of our Jesus life. 
The public life is to consider our interactions and how we treat other people. Our public life is to prefer other people before ourselves. One person put it like this. He said, preach the word at all times. And if necessary, use words. The public life is we are saved to be salt and light. We are, we are saved to be an influence in our community. That there should, be, there should be evidence of our Christianity and evidence of our impact in our public life. But then there's also the private life. We are saved for an intimate relationship with God. We are saved to pursue intimacy with the presence of Jesus. And so where there's one aspect of our Christianity and our church where we should be impacting the world around us, there's another part of, of, our, of our intimacy with God that we come just to spend time in our church with His presence. And this goes the same for our own individual lives. Our worship life is both public and private. Our worship life should be there to glorify God. But then there's aspects of our, of our worship life that are both public and private. We, we deal with this all the time in church. If you, if you came to our, our, our Life Connect where we share the vision of our house, I, and you would know this, if you haven't attended that yet, I really encourage you, even if you may be a member or you've been a part of our church for a while, I, I still encourage you uh, to do that. But we look at this whole aspect of my, my private worship and my public worship. Now, there may be aspects of your private worship that are demonstrative and loud. And maybe when you're at home, you like to dance before the Lord and you, and you like to lie down before the Lord and, 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 and maybe streamers, ribbons or, or whatever. You, there's, there's, a, there's a demonstration of your worship. But when you come into church... People will say to me, well, that's my private, that's, my, that's how I worship. I want to do that in church. And we go, no, we're not doing that in church. They're like, well, why can't we do it in church? Because that's your private worship. In church, you don't want to be a distraction to anybody else. So in church, it's public worship. When I come into church on Sunday, not everything that happens in our worship service is how I would worship God on my own. The music style is designed to be broad spectrum. It's not necessarily my style, not that I don't listen to these songs, but my own personal style of music is very loud, very intense. I know some of you think the volume here is already loud, but that you want to get into my vehicle. My vehicle, I don't need gas. My, my car will just shake all the way down the road. I, I like loud, intense. I like like very, very beat. That's that's my that's my personality. And and then there's other times in my private worship where I want to just go really quiet. If you come down to the office and I'm praying during the week, they complain because they can hear my music everywhere in the building. That that's I, I'm like. But when I come on Sunday, it's not about me. It's about me with you. It's about us. It's about us coming together. I don't want to do anything that would create a distraction that would stop somebody else from worshiping. So when I come into public, I still want to be honest and real with God, but I don't want to do things that I don't need to do and distract other people from connecting with God. Well, you might go, well, that's just not the real me. I just want to come and be who I am at home. I want to be here. That's not true. 
You don't do that. You don't even dress that way, thankfully. When you take a bath at home, I'm, I'm, I'm betting that you are different in your attire than when you're in church. You all bath with your clothes on? Oh, I'm the exact same. No, there's a level. It, it, when I dress for public, is differently than I, I dress in my living room of my house. And there's a different level of dress that's appropriate in my bedroom. The church is not the bedroom, it's the living room. It's where we all come in on a Sunday and everyone hangs out, all sorts of people. So there's a level of intimacy that's appropriate in your living room when you've got family in there. And there's a level of intimacy that's appropriate in your bedroom where it's just you and your spouse. But the bedroom intimacy is not appropriate in the living room when all the family is in there. Does that make sense? Some of you just need joy. You're on the really legalistic edge of life today. You're a depressing looking lot. Come on, somebody smile. Oh, it's not you, it's the people online. You people online, smile. And so that, that's, that's, it's public and it's private. It's living in that, 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 that balance. The word of life strategic vision is church on Sunday is the living room of the house and that we want to have a level of intimacy, but it's intimacy that doesn't stop somebody else connecting with Jesus. It's not just about me. It is about me, but just not about me. It is about my worship, but just not about my worship. It's about us worshiping together. The nativity story is a tension of heaven's glory. It's a tension of heaven's glory and, and, and earth's humility. In verse 15, when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So the angels go where? They go to heaven and the shepherds go to Bethlehem. So there's an aspect of heaven and there's an aspect of earth and we live in the tension. We don't want to be so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good. But we don't want to be so earthly minded that we're no heavenly good. The angels, the hosts of heaven, presumably Gabriel are there and then shepherds who are like the outcasts, the, 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 they're, not the, they're not the high profile people of their community, they're also there. And this is, the, this is the bigness of the gospel. For God so loved uh, everybody. The nativity story is a, a tension between heaven's throne and the manger throne. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby, the Savior, lying in a manger. So here you have the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords in a manger. Here you have the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords in, in a stable. You have a noble in a barn. The original barn and noble, but without the books. You have this happening in this, in this moment. This is the tension. He who sits in heaven's glory he who everything that you see was created by him is coming as a baby lying in a stable. The Bible says, let this mind be in you that was also in Jesus. Or otherwise, think like this. Think like Jesus thought. Who didn't think it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. 
So Jesus knew who he was. He carried himself as the king. But Jesus knew who he was, and so he never hesitated to serve. That's liberty. Knowing who you are, walking with your head held high, shoulders back, head up, knowing you're a child of the king, you're a son or you're a daughter of God, not slumped over, but knowing that Jesus has called you, that you've been redeemed by the blood, you have a high price paid for you, you're not an ex-anything, you're a brand new creation, all the old is passed away, behold, everything has been made new, you're a child of God, you're a son of God, you're a daughter of God, you got to know who you are, don't walk around slumping and I'm nothing and I'm nobody and I don't deserve to even be around, no, you're a child of God, you've been bought with a price, you are a person of value, you are a royal priesthood, you're, you're a chosen generation. You're a people that belong to God. So stick your shoulders back, lift your head up and walk in authority and confidence. So there's this aspect of that confidence. Walk with your head up and walk with your ego low. Head up, ego low. He knew exactly who he was. Anytime people treated like he was God, he never apologized for it. They laid their coats down. They waved palm branches. They sang Hosanna. He never said, hey, whoa, stop. Oh, I'm nobody. No, he's like, thank you very much. When they broke an alabaster flask of costly spikenard and spent one year's wages in one moment of blessing, he never apologized for the extravagance. He said, thank you very much because I am the King of Kings and I am the Lord of Lords and I know how to be treated. I'm gonna, and I'm not going to be treated like trash. Don't let your husband treat you like trash. Don't let your wife treat you like trash. Don't let a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a work, don't let anybody treat you like you're nothing. You're a child of God. You're a child of the King. Lift your head up, get your shoulders back and know who you are. But at the same time, when you know who you are, you don't have to prove anything. He made himself of no reputation and took on the form of a servant and humbled himself to the point of the cross. Why? Because he was able to lay his ego on the ground. I know who I am. I just don't have to prove it to you. I know who I am. I just don't have to make a point of it. I had a, a bit of an encounter like that. Uh, I think it was last year or this year. I can't remember where we went uh, to, to the Pentagon. And one of the guys in our church, Ben Shafter, was getting promoted. And we got to go to the Hall of Heroes. And I met General Brown. General Brown now is the number one guy, leads the Joint Chiefs of Staff. And he was the head over the, the whole Air Force back then. And I remember describing General Brown. General Brown walked into the room. And the way he carried himself was like, this man knows who he is. He's got nothing to prove. Like, he, he just carries that, like, you're awesome when you look at him. Like, he just had that intimidating nature. But in the whole, everything that happened, he was just incredible. Why? Because he didn't have to prove anything. He just knew who he was. Jesus knew who he was. You need to know who you are. But you need to lay your ego at the door. Look for an opportunity to serve. How can I serve other people? How can I help other people? And here's the last thought, and then we're going to pray. The nativity story is a tension of shepherds telling everyone and anyone and Mary treasuring these things up in her heart. And they saw it 
They made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. There's that aspect where it's the world around us and that aspect where it's the world within us. There is a wisdom that comes in knowing when to speak and when to sh- When to stand up and when to sit down. When to make a stand in work and when just to sit back. It's that discernment. There's a wisdom that, 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 that knows when to challenge people and when not to challenge people. I think one of the most regrettable conversations, and there's been a few, this is probably in the top ten, that I've had in my life. There was a guy called Wayne and he was in our church in Townsville and we were in this legalistic mode. And he was a brand new Christian. And I remember him coming to me and saying, hey, listen, my, my fiance works in a bar in a nightclub. And is it okay? I'm not going to drink. I'm not going to get involved in the nightclub. But I just feel like I need to go down there and be with her at night. And, and uh, in, I'm trying to get her to come to church. And so I'm just using this as an opportunity to try to get her to come to church. And I didn't come at that with grace or any level of intelligence. I think my response to him was something along the lines is, no, friendship with the world is enmity against God. Something like that. <laughs> something like that little intensity. And like, you go in there, you're taking the Holy Ghost with you into that den of iniquity. God, I'll hate you for it. I'll smack you in the face and burn you in. That weren't the exact words, but it was pretty close. No wisdom. And, 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 and we debated for 30 minutes, and I crushed him in the debate. I absolutely blew him out of the water and won every bit of the debate. I was an, oh, oh man, I was, so, I was a winner, winner, chicken dinner. But we lost him to the kingdom of God. He couldn't live in such. I didn't use any wisdom on how to do things. It wasn't even trying to help him. It was just smacking him. And I... And you win the debate, but you lose somebody to the kingdom. I'm not sure that's where God's at. And so there's just this aspect of our life where we have to realize, you know what, God, God, I, I, I need you to be in there. I, I want to build a bridge, not a wall. In, in, at the workplace, how do, how do I build a bridge to somebody and, and give it an opportunity where I can invite them on a, on a Christmas service, Christmas Eve next week, 10.30 and 5 o'clock. What time are the services? 10.30 and first one's at 10.30 in here everybody and, and the next one's at pick one of them 10.30 or 5 we're going to be here just two services next so everyone 10.30 we all got it online streaming at 10.30 and note it down wherever you are at the moment and then you use that because you've built relationship and rapport with somebody you don't want to be that, that person at work that everyone hates because you're trying to shove the gospel down their, their throat before you've built relationship and understand their life. Somehow we just got to live within that, that tension of we are salt, we are light, we stand for holiness, yet at the same time we are the only Jesus somebody is ever going to see. And God, how do we walk that line in our workplace and do it well that honors you and brings people into the kingdom? Oh, come, all you faithful.
joyful and triumphant. O come ye, O come ye to Bethlehem. Come and behold him, born the king of angels. O come let us adore him. O come let us adore him. O come let us adore him. Christ the Lord. Word of the Father, now in flesh appearing.